0: Welcome to Eight with Eight, a podcast from Ohio State Support Team Eight, where we share what's on our minds and what's in the research from the field of education. We're wrapping up our season called Eight Great Literacy Learnings, and today we want to step back from the specific frameworks and strategies and research on teaching kids how to read and write, and instead we're going to lean into some considerations for how to make our literacy instruction more equitable and accessible for all. Let's listen to two SST8 colleagues, Kim Nagy and Heidi Kraczynski summarize some great ways to ensure that our literacy instruction efforts are truly reaching and benefiting all learners.
1: Hi, I'm Kim Nagy, and I'm here with my colleague, Heidi Kraczynski. Today, we are going to talk about eight ways you can rethink equity in your literacy instruction. Heidi and I have researched two articles to share with you for this podcast. 10 ways educators can take action in pursuit of equity by Jennifer Gonzalez, and 20 ways to bring more equity to your literacy instruction by Lindsay Barrett. We cannot wait for you to hear what we've learned today Heidi, do you want to start us off with the first consideration?
2: Absolutely. So the first one is kind of the easiest of all that we're going to talk about today, and that is to learn more about your students. Kim, do you remember several years ago there was a teacher, her name was Kyle Schwartz, and she started the hashtag I Wish My Teacher New Movement? I do, Heidi. I remember that very clearly. And she really wanted to get to know her kids, so basically what she, um, she asked them was I wish my teacher knew and she had each of them fill out a slip of paper saying the things that the kids wanted the teacher to know about them and so what she really discovered was the children were going through so much in their lives things that she had never even considered could be happening and she learned a lot that year in her teaching and then decided to redesign her instruction as a result of it so we wanted to start with that one because That's kind of an easy one to do, and it's something that any teacher can pull their students to see what their lives are like, and that way you can design your literacy instruction to address the needs of your students.
1: Oh, and that is so true. When I was in the classroom with my sixth graders, we did something similar to this, and it really got... I was able to really understand the students and know where they're coming from. So if somebody's having a bad day that morning, I kind of had some background knowledge and we could kind of adjust how we needed to go. And then the learning would move forward instead of having that stop, right? Where, you know, you're dealing with this or you're having those those issues within your classroom. So that is so important.
2: So how about the second one? Why don't you give us the second one?
1: So one consideration that I personally found helpful was to have a go-to list of supports ready. So, when you're providing the students with those needs, it doesn't mean that you have to reinvent the wheel, right? Collaborating with your team and creating that list of those strategies for those struggling readers and enrichment strategies for your gifted readers because we want that tip to tip instruction is really going to be helpful for all students and a great time saver for you. Again, collaborating with your team, working together to solve those problems. So if any of our listeners are familiar with Anita Archer, who's one of our favorites, I refer to her as the Betty White of education. (laughs) Uh, one of her famous statements is, if you expect it, pre-correct it. And then by creating that list of go-tos, you've just pre-corrected for yourself and for those students. And you have at hand Quick tips to go.
2: I love that idea of having that kind of tool belt or toolbox that we can go back to and who doesn't love Anita Archer for sure. <laughs> so the third one um, from, from our articles is to construct a working definition of fair with students. And so I think some of the people that may be listening would be familiar with that graphic where we see the students looking over, the three students looking over the fence and looking at what is fair and what is equal. And I think it this is a really a purposeful thing teachers have to do to make sure that their students understand being fair isn't everybody gets the same, but being fair is everybody gets what everybody gets what they need. Right. And so kids te- have a tendency to really understand that. I think sometimes teachers are afraid to teach it because they don't think kids will understand it. But I think kids really understand that notion that I'm going to get what I need. It may be different from what my you know the person next to me needs.
1: Right. And explaining to them what that means. You know, I need context to see you know, you don't need contacts to see. So that is something that for me, that's fair. If I forced you to wear those contacts, would that be fair for you? Because that actually would hinder your sight, right? And kind of bringing those examples in for things that they can relate to. Right. is, is so true. And once you do that, I think the students really will respond to that and they won't have that. Well, wait a minute, she got that and I didn't get that. And they'll right. have that understanding. And that creates that community in your classroom as well. Right. So Absolutely. Our, that next consideration that I want to talk about is showing the students that everyone struggles right they need to know that that struggle is real and they need to know that you're real and you're a real person and you make mistakes just like they do and as the adult apologize for those mistakes when you make them and just reiterate that you know we need to set that precedent that you know that universal part of learning and encourage those students to have that growth mindset so really understanding that not everything is easy in life that that work ethic that pushing through right until you figure out how to make it work for you and then when students realize that the, the adults in their life are also struggling, that they make those connections with you. Like they see you as human, not just that teacher, you know, that's standing in the room above you, but really someone who's there to support them and help them right. grow. And then, you know, I wanted to touch on that mindset as well, because it's not just a set of posters that people put up in their classroom. It's really you as the adult modeling that, teaching the students how to work through that difficult material, and that it's okay to struggle and make those mistakes, because that's where that true learning happens. So it's really something that I feel very strongly about as well. Right. And
2: teachers are, are really that model. I mean, I totally agree with that. It's 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 no longer, you know, do as I say and not as I do. Right. We really talk about it even in the PBIS framework that you have to model the behavior that you're expecting to see. And I think it's true for academic instruction, literacy instruction as well. And speaking of PBIS, that takes us kind of to our next consideration, and that is to offer a variety of ways students can participate. And in PBIS terms, a lot of times you'll hear us talk about opportunities to respond. Are the teachers doing all the talk time or do the students have an opportunity to talk? What what ways do do you as a teacher provide that engagement? Do you use um, technology? Do you use use surveys? Do you use um, old-fashioned whiteboards or hand signals or any of those kinds of things um, in your classrooms, but really being able to participate and with the literacy with the literacy strategies as well so we want to make sure that we are giving our students more time to talk because those that are doing the talking are doing the learning, right? So, we want to make sure that that talk time is on a higher level of percentage and less the lesser percentage on the teacher side, right?
1: And I'll talk about that a little while in just a little <laughs> while as well. But before we go to that, speaking of that information, right, that opportunity to respond, we want to make sure that students have a clear understanding on what it takes to be successful because if they don't have that clear understanding, they're going to continuously be like lost in the mud, right? They're just never going to be able to kind of get through. That And the research from these articles tells us that there are specific strategies that are likely to lead to that academic success, and not just academic success, but success in life as well. So students really need to be taught these strategies. They need to be taught explicitly, explicit skills, right? Those explicit study skills, that organization, the note-taking, time management, and we all need those skills, right? right? Time management, who doesn't (laughs) need that, okay? Um, Students build those habits, and then again, they'll be successful. And there's that assumption, that students already know these skills, especially when they get to older grades. And I will be very honest right now, when I moved from kindergarten to sixth grade, I made that assumption that they came with those skills and they didn't. I had to explicitly teach them how to organize their materials, even down to their book bags, sure. you know, how to come in and make sure that you're prepared for the day because they just didn't have those skills in the past. So we right. really need to explicitly teach those that information. And
2: I would say as a middle school teacher, I felt the same way, especially with note-taking. Students would come to me and seventh and eighth grade and sometimes I think we would again make that assumption that they can do it but they some of them were never really taught explicitly how to take notes so what's important to you know how do you organize? What's important to take down? You know how do you highlight and go back and reorganize right. and re re um you know rewrite sometimes mm-hmm. your notes. So I think that's really uh, an important skill. All those skills are important uh, to do, especially even as we get up into the higher grades for sure. Definitely. So as we're working our way down our list, we're now to the the next one, which is the second to last, and that is um, one that I'm very personally. Um, passionate about and that is redesigning exclusionary discipline policies and of course uh, those people listening probably if they're listening and they know us they know that you're a, an expert in the literacy field and my area is PBIS and one of the things we talk about is we need to have kids in school in you know involved in their literacy instruction for them to be able to be successful. Um, Dr. Pedro Nugera says we most likely punish the kids with the greatest needs, and those are the kids that are typically um, denied learning time. We pull them out of the learning environment, uh, sending them to the office or suspending. Those are the kids, in fact, that need the most instruction, and they need to be in school the longest. So um, that's the one thing that I would always challenge my pbis teams literacy teams to think about the longer that the student is not in the learning environment th- that's the more that they're not learning and the more they're not being exposed to, to literacy so we want to make sure kids are in school to be able to get their instruction
1: and in class
2: and in class not, not just in the bathroom. not just right not, not just a, you know right. right
1: in class right um so heidi the last consideration that we have i have very strong feelings on from being a kindergarten teacher to a sixth grade teacher to a teacher of gifted students, um, teaching students the way they learn rather than expecting them to learn the way we teach. (laughs) And, you know, and I, I mean, growing up, I mean, I've had lots of different teachers myself, obviously, and I remember the teachers who I struggled with because of their learning style that wasn't my learning style. And I remember the teachers that I was successful with because they really were in tune to what was best for the students in the classroom. So really looking at that, um, that way we are teaching that, right? And then again, Dr. Um, Pedro Noega believes that this is an issue in many of our schools, according to the articles, spe- specifically in middle school and high school, right? Yeah. And think about that, 40-minute periods. How do you get all of that in, right? And I think teachers are really under so much pressure to cover state standards, the state testing stress, that we unintentionally forget that students really need to be an active part of their learning, right? Because we're just trying to get everything covered. And so then taking that time and going back and looking at that, right? Um, The kind of passive learning that isn't most effective to get those students engaged is not what we want to see, right? We want to see that active engagement. We want to have more student-centered and not teacher-centered approach. We need to move away from that. Right. So looking at more of that, you know, I do, we do, you do, that gradual release model. Again, the wonderful Anita Archer who gives us that, right? we know that student, students learn through those experiences by asking those questions, having that interaction with each other, that brainstorming with each other, um, learning through their mistakes. And if we taught students the way they actually learn, our classrooms would really look very differently, and so would our student outcomes, with literacy and behavior.
2: Yes, I totally agree. And, and, and I would have to jump on that notion that that 40-minute period that you mentioned, you know, when you're teaching that 40-minute period, that time goes by so fast. I mean, the time is precious. And so we need to utilize it in the best way that we can uh, and really um, use everything to our advantage because those kids are not in our, especially at the middle levels and high school levels, they're not in our classes very long.
1: Right. And I know part of PBIS is making sure that you have routines. Right. And The students know the expectation, right? So in that 40-minute period, having that routine, they know the expectation. Expectation. They know what's going to happen during the class time. They know that they're going to get to have that time for the student-centered work is right. so
2: valuable. Yeah. You said um, there was a similar quote in PBIS, if you expect it, inspect it. And you said some something similar to that yes. earlier for literacy. So you really have to inspect those procedures and routines to make sure that we're making the most of our class periods. Right. So we talked a lot about all these great strategies or great considerations for rethinking equity in our literacy classrooms. We talked about learning more about our students. We talked about having a working definition of fair, offering a variety of ways that we can participate, that students can participate in literacy instruction. We talked about redesigning our exclusionary discipline policies. We We talked about providing clear guidance on what it takes to to succeed, letting them know that we struggle as adults, having that toolbox of supports, and then finally, um, teaching the way students learn rather than expecting them to learn the way we teach. We talked about eight great considerations today, so I think that's good food for thought, and I hope folks enjoyed that today. If you enjoyed this podcast, join the PBIS Network and the Regional Literacy Leaders Network for more information on equity and education. You can access the registration for each of these networks on our SST8 webpage and at sst8.org. You can also post a review on Twitter at OhioSST8. You can also listen to previous seasons of both PBIS and literacy on our 8 with 8 podcast. We hope you enjoyed it today and we will see you next time. Yes. Thanks for listening, everyone.
0: And that's it for another episode of Eight with Eight. Thank you for joining us today and all season long as we continue to expand what we know about high quality and effective literacy instruction. Another big thank you to all of our guests this season. We hope that our listeners have enjoyed hearing straight from some of the best authors, speakers, trainers, and leaders in the world of literacy. But wait, there's more. You know, we love the number eight and we usually create our seasons around a series of eight episodes, but this time we had too many good things to share. So keep your eyes peeled and your ears open for a bonus episode on literacy that will drop sometime around the end of February. We'll be talking to Dr. Sarah Seiko, a national literacy expert and a member of ODE's dyslexia committee. Dyslexia is a super hot topic in Ohio right now, so don't miss this bonus episode. Until then... Take care, be well, and we'll see you soon.